Hello, and welcome to St. Paul's Growing Together, a Bible study podcast resource for the St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnet, Illinois. Because we believe that studying God's Word is important, and that through our time together in God's Word, we grow in our faith in Jesus and our love for one another, we are offering you a chance to come grow with us through listening in on our Bible studies. We now join a Bible class on the Book of Acts, taught by our associate pastor, Mike Hanel. Where are we? Well, uh, what was it, in August? Uh, it was right before Pastor Bodor started his Bible class. Uh, as I was ending, uh, going through the books of the Old Testament, we sort of began this series and we were going book by book and we were watching these videos from Bible Project and uh, kind of just talking about big picture overview of all of these books one by one. And we went from the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, all the way to the last prophet, uh, Malachi, and it was a, a, a good stopping point. So it was good that it ended there. And I said, you know, what do you guys want to do next? We can keep doing this, uh, kind of, except now we can move to the New Testament. We could kind of go book by book and, uh, do that video thing again. And, and that would work. But, uh, there were a couple of people in, in class that might've been plants because not all of them are even here, uh, that said, Oh, I want to do the book of Acts. And so, okay. The, the audience has spoken. If that's not what you wanted to do, you should have spoke louder, louder when I asked, because I do actually listen. Uh, it, it isn't what I thought I'd be doing, but it's what you wanted, so we're going to do it. But here's my question uh, to you. Okay, so there is only one adult Bible class being offered right now, so maybe you're here just because it's the class and you, you come to the class. And if there was another one, you'd probably be in that. But some of you maybe are here because it's the book of Acts and you wanted to study and learn more about that. Uh, wherever you are, I'll, I'll take you from both paths and we'll walk this road together. But I have a great challenge in that just thinking about the book of Acts, and if you haven't ever kind of read it through in detail, um, it's a pretty lengthy book, right? Uh, we're talking 28 chapters. So this is longer than the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel is only 16 chapters. So, I mean, this is a serious book. There's a lot in it, uh, a lot of detail, some of it is is probably stuff that you know very well. Some of the the stories, some of the parts of it, maybe you you just you like I said, you know the important things, but this will connect all of those, and so maybe you're not as strong in that. With a book of this size, there's three ways we can go about doing this. One is the really long way, one is the short way, and one is the happy medium way. Uh, I, and I kind of know what, what you'll, you'll say, but I have to ask anyway. It's 28 chapters. Even if we did a chapter a week, that's a 28 week class. Now, I'm not afraid of those. I'm not allergic to them. Remember, I just did like a year long going through the Old Testament. So I have no problem doing a class where, you know, one chapter a week about we would cover it. That would be what I would propose as kind of the long way. Um, the, the more short 
way is kind of we would just not quite like I have done big picture overview cover it in a week but try to take like six or eight weeks and maybe cover some of the the highlights or the big parts of acts um we could do that or the middle way which is not a year but not eight weeks, some, somewhere in the middle, and we try to figure out some parts we'd maybe fast forward through, other parts we would slow down a little bit more and look at them in detail. Uh, and so my first question is, what's your background to the book of Acts? How would you like to go through it on Sunday morning? And I'll try to figure out what the class is going to look like after hearing your responses. The floor is yours. Speak. The the middle, yeah, okay. We're we're a place of compromise. How many of you have have you studied the Book of Acts a lot ever? Some. How about how many have done it a Bible study on Acts before? Okay. How many have done more than one Bible study on Acts? How many have studied a little bit of Acts, but not? How many have never like looked at the Book of Acts except you've heard it in church a few times? Okay. So we have we have a few people uh, in in all of those categories. Um, the 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 book of Acts. I mean, it's it's kind of on. I mean, it's all the Bible. It's God's word. It's on par with the Gospels, and in that there's so much material there, and it it is all good stuff. And I don't want I don't want to shortchange it, but. Um, also kind of knowing, knowing the format. Um, do you guys like to come to Bible classes where you have homework? No, that, see, that's, that's important to know. Um, because some of this, if we read through it in class, read through sections, in my mind, that's a pedagogically sound thing because I don't want to discuss something that you haven't read before. We could assign readings outside of class and, okay, you have, read this three or four times before coming to class and then we can, we can come to it. But I don't want to, to burden you or scare you off from the class either. So, uh, in class, we'll probably do some going through and reading out loud of passages. Maybe not every single word, but like I said, as we get to the highlights, there will be places that we zoom in. Um, the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, We'll see, we'll see how the pace goes. We might go a little bit slower because there's really important and foundational stuff here, but there also might be some things that if we were doing the long version of this class, I would totally jump on and I might say, you guys seem to want the happy medium. In the happy medium version, I just can't go into all of that detail. The beginning of Acts has stories that we're a little bit familiar with because we get them in church every year. Stories of the ascension of Jesus, stories about Pentecost and the the first disciples gathering together, uh, Peter's first sermon there on Pentecost. And then after that, it'll kind of be a little bit dicier. You know probably the story of Paul's conversion, and you know that he traveled a lot. Um, but we'll be going into more details of some of 
the, the travels and what happened and the conflict that Paul experienced and what all of that means for what Luke was doing. So, okay, we'll do the happy medium. We won't do homework. We'll do some reading of things in class. Um, any other important things that you want to make sure that we cover or talk about in a class that's on the book of Acts? Okay, so you want a quiz on Paul's journeys so that, <laughs> remember that class, Bethany wanted a quiz. Okay, so when we get to Paul, what, how to keep track of them or what was important about the missionary journeys, and there's actually, there's some controversy on them because some people talk about Paul having three missionary journeys, and there's also some people that say he, he might have had four missionary journeys. Um when we get there, I'll decide if that's a topic we can go into or not, uh, depending on how things are going in the pace of class. All right, standing room only. This is nice. Um, yeah, there. Can I make a suggestion yeah. for next week? Yeah. Crystal's going to actually have more room, and there's chairs in the back that we can set up. Okay. Did you hear that? Room change next week, right next door. Unless people don't come back, Jim, because we talked about quizzes and I I I heard quizzes. You said I All right. Why do you want to study the book of Acts? That's that's a more open ended question. What are what are some thoughts? Why are why are you here? Because it's it's when the the church started to spread. Okay. It is just so amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah yes it it absolutely is is inspiring and and we in our context um we're sometimes comfortable i i might even use the word lazy um but if you you hear about those missionary contexts like for instance when rachel meyer was here or the bakers were here um you know it, it in one sense, it inspires you, and in another sense, it can motivate you, and in another sense, it might you might feel a little bit ashamed or embarrassed. Like, well, they're doing that there, where like you know, there there's some threats. Some of them might be perceived. Some of them might actually be real. Um, and like, what am I worried about? I'm I'm worried that. I might get unfriended on Facebook or somebody might say bad things about me or, um, you know, so, so we kind of tamper it down or tone it down a little bit. And, and yeah, so there's, there's something about coming back to this and seeing the, the Holy Spirit work. And, um, that, that is absolutely inspiring. Yeah. After thinking about Rachel being, you know, over in Africa and stuff, it's like they just give up their whole lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just nothing else but that. Yeah. You know, and it, and it amazes me the, yeah. the strength of faith that that would take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 so what what's ha- what's happening in Acts is is still happening today. That the the Holy Spirit is doing the Holy Spirit's work, and sometimes. It might be really flashy and exciting. At other times, it's seen in conflict and persecution and fighting. 
Um, because the book of Acts does have these really flashy, inspiring parts, but as we're going to get into it, we're also going to find it wasn't always so good. It, it, it isn't just this constant upward and there was no conflict or no problems. There were some very serious problems. Um, and so how, how did they deal with, with that? Because we can associate with that. We, we know what it's like for, for a church to get divided, for personalities to get played off against one another, for people not always to get along, for, for all sorts of different things. And so yes, Acts is inspiring, but it's also real history with real people and God using ordinary people like us. Um, again, the, these are not like God looked for the best and the brightest and, and he's like, yep, they qualified. They're good enough. They're the ones that I can use. He, he looks at somebody like Peter and says, this guy's a fisherman. What, what does he know about speaking to large crowds? Well, God will use that. Or even Saul, Paul, uh, a persecutor, a, a, dead set enemy against the faith and God can use him too. So good answers. Other thoughts. Why study the book of Acts? Why why are you here? What do you want to get out of it, Ken? Well scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well you can you can pull that out for every class, I hope, right? When we're when we're always well, this is this is this is scripture. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. If this was on, you know, Job or, or uh, yeah. So the point is that sometimes we have our favorite books of the Bible, books of the Bible that we know very well and we go back to again and again, and that's 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 good. Uh, have those, but there are also other parts of the Bible that uh, maybe it's intimidating, maybe it's not exciting. You know, I know that the Book of Acts, uh, the one of the the big memories or associations that I personally uh, have with the book of Acts um, is that in, in our congregation where we have lay readers is that you always pray for the person who has the Pentecost reading from Acts because there are all of those uh, nation names, nationalities that they have to go through. And I mean, some of those people groups don't exist anymore so like you just you have no idea how to pronounce them and you stumble and it's it's painful because it's one of those hard readings not all of acts is like that but somebody might have an association of like oh it's 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 foreign it's complicated it's not accessible but that's that's not all acts is about and it is god's word for us um, and, and it's useful to raise us up into who God is wanting us to be. The Holy Spirit works through this. Totally, the Holy Spirit is working in the book of Acts and will re, will be working through us as we study this book. So, can't, can't argue with that answer. Any other ones? Why study Acts? I think I got that reading this year. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm sorry. I don't, yeah, it, <laughs> it's it's always like maybe on Pentecost we should just not have a lay because it's it if you're not especially if you're not prepared and you're just like oh yeah I can go up there and I can read the reading you're like what did I just do um, yeah I think the, the, the the emphasis on the acts of the Holy Spirit 
Uh huh. Yeah. 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 That's interesting, and and I, I have I have some thoughts. I'll save them so I don't don't start jumping the gun. But yeah, the 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 focus on the Holy Spirit is certainly uh, a connection that we make when we think about the Book of Acts. All right. Let's dive in a little bit. We'll just do some precursory stuff. And, and by precursory, I mean, let's not even turn to Acts right now. Uh, open up to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. So go back a few pages. The Gospel of Luke. Gotta love a class on Acts where we're not even going to start there. And you're like... This is the middle version, Pastor? you got to at least start with Acts. Well, uh, as I said in, in the blurb for this, uh, sequels. You, you know, you, you, you watch a movie or you read a book, and it kind of hangs on a, ends on a cliffhanger, and you're like, uh, I can't wait till the next one comes out. I want to I know what's going to happen, what's going on. The, the interesting thing about Luke's Gospel is that Luke's Gospel has this connection to the book of Acts. And so before we can get to Acts, we, we need to just at least address that connection that they have because that means something for our understanding of the book of Acts, how we're coming to it, what it means, and, and we can't, we can't just skip over that. So, uh, Luke begins his gospel with kind of his own personal introduction. Um, the, the other gospels uh, sort of begin right with the story uh, about Jesus. They, they get into, uh, what's going on. But, but Luke, he's different. Um, his, his work is, is absolutely a gospel about Jesus. And we learn about his life, his death, his resurrection, all four sinners like you and me. That's absolutely the focus of Luke's gospel. But, It has all of the fingerprints of a book that is well thought out, well constructed, well written. It is, it is a gospel, but it's a work, we might even say a work of literature. Now when I say that, that does not mean that it's fiction, that it is made up, or, or anything like that, but his hand is, is visible in how this went together, and that means something for how we read it. And so at the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke sort of steps onto the stage. He doesn't, again, say that this is about him, but he introduces us to what it is that we're about to read, and we learn something about what we're about to read. So the beginning of Luke's gospel is sometimes called the prologue. It's kind of set off, um, and we got to start there in order to get to the book of Acts. So somebody can read out loud. We're just going to read the first four verses of Luke, one through four. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent 
Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty from the things that are Okay. So in in hearing this, um, they, there's there's stuff that maybe flies by your radar, um, but that I, I have to pause it and just sort of let us think about that. So firstly, he is saying, how many other people have written about Jesus or, or tried to share what Jesus is about? Is he the first one to do this? No, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about Jesus, a story about Jesus. And again, narrative story, this doesn't, this isn't fiction, nonfiction. It, it means the, the life and the events of Jesus so that you could understand who this Jesus is and what he's about. So Luke says he's not the first to do this. So that's, important uh, for a, a couple of different reasons. When we read the Gospels, you've probably heard or talked about this, you know how some stories are in multiple Gospels, and sometimes the details or the versions might be a little bit different. One might be shorter, one might be longer, that kind of thing. Um, that makes sense if the disciples, for instance, were involved in how these gospels came about, came about, and people said, well, tell us about some of the things that Jesus did, and they told their stories, and the, the accounts are the same, about the same person, the same man, about the same teachings, but maybe somebody got a different detail about that uh, than the other. For instance, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, it's in all four of the Gospels. Uh, it is a story that you can sort of do this with and look at all of the Gospels and see, like, which one is the, the shortest version and, and what's... Sh- What's short about it? Like, what details are omitted? What details are added in the other uh, accounts? And you can kind of do this work. Well, Luke says, other people have done Gospels. Uh, I'm going to do it as well. I'm going to write my own account. Why? Why Why reinvent the wheel? If there are already accounts of Jesus' life, why is Luke even getting involved in this? Is Is there something bad or lacking in the other ones, do you think? Maybe he feels that it's just not described correctly. Okay. And he's put it in, in an order, mm-hmm. which makes it easier to understand. Okay, yeah, so he's it's put it... It's a life story bio, kind of. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Jim? He's also writing in a different audience, which audience, like yeah. So if, if you, if you look into some of the, the other gospels, for instance, picking off what Jim said, uh, one of the things you notice early in Matthew's gospel is that there's a very strong emphasis on, and this happened to fulfill this part of scripture, this prophecy, and to, to really show Jesus as this, uh, as the fulfillment of the prophet, priest, and king that, that was expected, that Messiah who was to come. And if Matthew's gospel was to speak to those kinds of people, that, that makes sense. But if a Gentile read this, somebody who's not very familiar with the Old Testament, maybe that stuff doesn't really mean as much to them. It's not that it's not true or that they were wrong, Matthew was wrong to write it or that it's bad. It's just, 
that that's not my language. I, I don't that who cares if he fulfilled the Jewish scriptures, you know, because I don't believe in the Jewish scriptures. The message it might be a little bit different. Same Jesus, but that might not be the the angle that speaks to to those individuals. So yeah, that that could definitely be one reason. Audience. What do we learn about Luke's audience? Do we learn anything in the first few verses? Okay, our guy Theo here, Theophilus. Uh, this is simply two Greek words. Uh, Theo comes from Theos, is the Greek word for God. And the Phyllis is a Greek word that means uh, friend, it can mean lover as well. Um, and so Theophilus is, is a friend of God, someone who loves God or is loved by God. Uh, it's a Greek name. Just told you those two parts are Greek. And so we would expect that the reader, uh, this person that Luke is dedicating this to, is a Gentile in their background. Because the, the Jews, the, the ones that are, are the, the chosen people, they would usually have Jewish names, Hebrew names. It's, it's possible as they were scattered that some of the families might have named their children Greek names because Greek was a, a common language. But if they really wanted to maintain that identity of who they are, who they were as Hebrews, they wouldn't do that. Um, so probably Greek, probably a Gentile, somebody who didn't grow up and have all of that Jewish background. But the other weird thing about the name Theophilus, that, that is a name that people had, but most scholars say it's probably a, a nickname or a pseudonym of who the person really is. Um, for our purposes, it doesn't matter if there was actually a person named Theo uh, or if it's a pseudonym for who it really is. The interesting part of it being a pseudonym or it not really being the actual birth name of this person is it's written to most excellent Theophilus. At least that's usually the, the translation we have. Um, that word that's there, most excellent, is a, a it's not really a term of endearment. It's a term of reverence. Um, like you wouldn't address it to, uh, dear Mr. Philophil, uh, Theophilus. You would have to, like, dear Mr. President Theophilus. Like you add more, uh, more t- names and titles. People think because he's called most excellent Theophilus, this isn't just some random Greek guy. This is somebody who's well to do, who's connected, um, to say more than that, we're kind of in the in the world of speculation, but he was not just an average person. Some people say, well, he was not just an average person. And when we talk about some of the content here and where Luke was when he wrote this, probably that he was probably in Rome, that he had spent a lot of time in Rome with Paul, that this Theophilus knows something about Jesus, it seems, that he is a believer, but he's a little unsure about some of the things that he's heard or read about Jesus. Well, he could go and and check things out himself, but 
maybe this guy's so connected and so well to do that if he did that, it might cause some questions or suspicions. Some people think he might have been a Roman governmental official, like somebody of high standing. Again, we, we don't know that for sure, but there's something odd about how he's addressed. Both together, then, the fact that he's most excellent Theophilus, not just some random guy, dear Philophilus, my friend, but also that name, which could be his name, but it could also be this pseudonym to protect his real identity. Um, there's no absolute way of, of knowing this, but there, there's, there's something here that's noteworthy, and we just... We want to note it. We want to think about that. So that's his audience, first of all, Theophilus. But the fact that we're reading it right now means that it wasn't, he wasn't the only one. What often happens in, in works of literature in the ancient day is that, um, it, it, it costs some money to, to write something. You can't just sit down at your computer and, and type out a few pages here and there and save. Like, this is doing things the old-fashioned way where you're writing it down on scrolls and parchment. And when you mess up, like, shoot, I spelled that, like, you, you'd have to, you'd have to start over. Uh, often scribes were used. You know, you might write your rough draft and the scribe would, would write the final copy. Uh, Anybody have memories in college that you paid somebody to write your term papers because you had to footnote and you had to figure out where a footnote went on a page? And I've heard stories about this. I know that it was a thing. <laughs> now, nowadays, you don't have to do that. Um, so, so it would have cost money to, to write this. It isn't just something somebody sits down and does. And so often the person that a book is written to is a patron somebody of means, which would fit quite well for our guy Theophilus. And when it's written to him as the patron, it's it's his to do with whatever he wants. So he can make more copies and pay for more copies, and it can be spread and disseminated. So it, it seems like that's how the Gospel of Luke got its start. So other people have, have written about this Jesus guy, but Luke knows this man Theophilus, who, who's a believer in Jesus, but he's 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 he just he's not sure. You know, he has some questions and maybe some concerns about some of the the parts of Jesus's story. So, how is Luke going to answer some of those questions? How is he going to uh, help him to know whether what is written is is true or not? And and how does he carefully investigate it? Yeah, yeah. In 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 histor- historiography, in writing history, eyewitnesses are the gold standard. If you want to know whether something happened or how something happened. You don't talk to somebody who heard something from someone who was a cousin of the person involved. You talk to the person who was there. That is the highest standard in all of historiography, whether we're talking uh, secular or sacred. Eyewitnesses. You ask them, did this happen? Is this how this happened? You can go to them and say, look, I have this other account. Is that is that what is that what it was about? Was was there something more? Was there something different? And you get 
the story straight. And Luke says he did that. Why did he do that? Because the story is that important. This, this is, this is not just some silly thing that he wants to know. Oh, how, how did that go? How did that end? This is a story of something that people are dying for. Their faith in this man, Jesus. And he wants Theophilus to know that what you've heard is true. It's trustworthy. It's accurate. This is the real thing. And how do I know? I didn't just take somebody's word for it. I went and I talked to the eyewitnesses. And in Luke's gospel, a couple of different ways that this is shown is that Luke's gospel, like Matthew's gospel, are the two accounts that have uh, versions of Jesus's birth, right? And although we can't say this absolutely, just if you read both accounts and compare some of the details and figure out what's going on, it's it's commonly thought that Matthew's account is kind of Joseph's perspective. So the 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 version that, that Joseph told others about when when they're like, what what happened here with that Mary girl? I thought you were going to divorce her. And, you know, and so Joseph told his account. Luke's version seems like it comes more from from Mary's perspective and point of view. So it, it's commonly thought, for instance, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is one of the eyewitnesses that Luke had that opportunity to talk with and to get some of these details that, that you wouldn't know otherwise because they were from her. She, she experienced this, she saw it, and she treasured those things in her heart and she would tell them to people that, that asked more questions. So Luke's, Luke's giving us sometimes things that we didn't have from the other accounts. Again, that didn't mean that the other accounts were lacking. It's just Luke was talking to the eyewitnesses and he's like, wow, like this is really good stuff. And I want Theophilus to know about this too. And, and so he, he writes that up. Um, the other thing to know about Luke's gospel and uh, as we've been preaching a lot, our church year, we have a reading schedule. It's called electionary, and it's a three-year cycle. And in it, it's based off of the, the Gospels. And in it, in year A, we have Gospel readings predominantly from Matthew. In year B, predominantly from Mark. And in year C, the third year, predominantly from Luke. We're in the C year right now. And so the gospel readings, as long as your pastors don't do any funny business and change the readings, uh, which you can, but, uh, is, is been from Luke. And what I've been trying to kind of emphasize in, in some of my sermons and when I do introductions to the gospel reading is that it's not just this reading that we're considering, but it's this reading in the context that it is found because the context means something. Luke put a lot of effort and diligence into putting together the story in just this way. And so there's there's some reason for that. Maybe sometimes we can't always figure out why. Maybe it's just because that's the event, the, the sequence of how the events happened. But you have to be aware of that. Because Luke says that he took careful attention to put this together an orderly account. Now, orderly doesn't necessarily mean chronological. 
So we, we don't have to tie him to that. When people wrote biographies in this day in secular history, very often they were not in chronological order. Now, they would usually follow some kind of chronological sequence. For instance, they wouldn't, they wouldn't like start with his death, uh, have his birth in the middle, and then talk about his midlife at the end. Like it, it wasn't haphazard, but after kind of getting some of the main signposts, they would kind of zoom in on some thematic stories about the person's life. And, and so in Luke's account, it's not always that things need to have been in a chronological order, but it's, it's, it's the order that Luke saw fit to put them together through the leading of the Holy Spirit to bring out these parts of Jesus' life and his ministry, his teachings, and his miracles um, so that we can read it. Now, again, when you when you read through Luke and, and understand that, you, 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 pro- you probably gain some appreciation for it after going through all of that. But all of this is for Luke's gospel. What does that have to do with Acts? Now we can turn to the opening pages, Acts 1. Um, let's do Acts 1. Somebody can read it out loud. We're going to do verses 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right. Um, and if we keep reading, it'll, it'll start the actual sequence of events that, um, in Luke's gospel, uh, in the book of Acts begins with Jesus' ascension. So, again, Luke is very deliberate and starts off the reading with, he steps in, his own voice, and says, okay, still, still to Theophilus, what what do we learn about this book and its connection with the previous? So it's written to the same person. What else? It's a continuation of the story. Okay, so he talks about his his first book. Um, here's something that we'll we'll kind of have to to gra- uh, wrestle with: uh, names of books. Uh, we we are a little bit more aware of, cognizant of, of the fact that the books, when you publish a book, it has to have a title, right? Because that's how you find it. You can search for it in your library, Amazon. You want that book by that author and, and so forth, and that's how you get it. In in the ancient world, titles of things, that was that was not really as much a, a thing. Um, it, it's, it's partially because the... the the number of, of works available. Uh, if you knew the author of it, you probably knew the, the work that it, that it was. Or if you knew, oh, it's, it's by Luke. It's the one about Jesus. Like they, they can find it. They, they know what you're talking about. So for authors to give book, books titles isn't really something that, 
that they were too worried about doing and, and didn't do. So the first four books of the New Testament we all know as the gospel of Da, 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 or the gospel according to uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, all of them are, are given that name because they are the gospel, the good news of Jesus, of who he is and, and what he has done. But notice that Mark, uh, sorry, Mark, Luke doesn't like say, uh, you remember my, my number one bestseller, the, the one called the gospel of Luke? Uh, he, he just says, in, in my first book, in my former book, you, you know the one that I'm talking about, and, and that's sort of enough. Well, that also means that our book that we're going to be reading, the book of Acts, uh, that, that title is, is given to it in the tradition of the church, but it may not necessarily be the case that, that he assigned that title to it, that Luke did. Um, instead, it was a way for people to be able to differentiate and, and understand. Um, I don't know why they didn't call him Luke part one and Luke part two, or, you know, Jesus is back, or, you know, give it, give it some really catchy name, because uh, they weren't thinking of, of Hollywood and movies and bestsellers, I guess. But in, in the second century, there were other works that were written about the lives of some of the apostles, and some of them were true, and some of them were embellished, but those books were often called the Acts of, and then fill in the name of whichever apostle that that it was about. The Acts of Peter would have been stories that were gathered together about things that that Peter did and and so forth, and uh, those aren't books that, that are part of our Bible, because like I said, some of them seem to have some factual problems. There seems to be embellishment and, and whatnot. Uh, in the very early church, they, they kind of recognized that and, and rejected these books. But they were called Acts, A-C-T-S. And so that's the book that comes to, that's the title uh, that comes to stick with his second book, the Acts and here, people argue, the acts of what? The acts of whom? Um, the, the most common answer to that is the acts of the apostles. This is about what the apostles did. Uh, some people, again, really zooming in on that Holy Spirit, will say, it's about the apostles, but more than every, anything, the predominant sense that you get is not that it's the apostles doing all of this, but it's the Holy Spirit who's working in them and through them in all circumstances. So they call it the acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, not to, not to denigrate either of those as options, but if you listen to what Luke himself says about it, he says, in my first book, I, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay? So all that Jesus began to do. The other shoe that drops is he's still doing things in this book. So don't think that the gospel is, that's about Jesus and now Jesus is out of the picture. This is all about the apostles or the Holy Spirit even. Um, that's not how Luke introduces this. It was things that Jesus did before his death and resurrection, 
And now these are more things that Jesus did after his resurrection. Um, and so the importance in Luke's gospel of Jesus. So Jesus is going to be central. Now, this can be seen from a lot of different ways. So yes, we can still focus and talk about the Holy Spirit, but in Luke's gospel at the end and here in the beginning of Acts, he makes it crystal clear that the Holy Spirit comes. Why? Because Jesus sends it. The Holy Spirit that I promised from myself and my Father, it will come. So Jesus is still behind that action. When we get further into the story, how is it that that Luke, that Saul is converted? Who does he encounter? Jesus. He encounters the risen Jesus. That, that Jesus is still a large part of what happens in this book. So, again, not to, not to divide the Trinity, um, or anything like that, but where the Holy Spirit is, the Father and the Son are also there working together. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all on the same team. And so it's not like, okay, Jesus tagged out and he's, he's out of the picture now. He's not going to be involved anymore. The Holy Spirit absolutely is working in this book, but but Jesus and his hand is there as well, just as it is today. Jesus is involved in our lives and in our worship and in our ministry and everything that we do, just as the Holy Spirit is. So, so Luke gives us a glimpse of that. So when you read that beginning, we're just continuing on, continuing on from what began. Kind of raises the question, well then, why why didn't he make a separate book about this? Why didn't he just write one really large book and it was the Jesus story? Because everything that he said in Luke 1, that's also true of this, right? This is also carefully researched. He's talked to eyewitnesses. What we're going to find out as we get further into it is he is one of the eyewitnesses of these events, that he has been there at Paul's side and knows a lot of the story from Paul, and Paul was in on it from those very early days. So he has that perspective as well. Um, so why? Why why do you think he divided this up into multiple books? Why not why do we have the Gospel of Luke and then there's John and then Acts is kind of like separated and different when it seems like Luke wants us to see how these two go to be- go together. Well, were there more accounts written besides the four Gospels? Uh, none that, that uh, were according to the truth. So there are other works that people wrote and they called Gospels that were written later that were that contradicted uh, the truth. And so, the, like, the Gospel of Thomas is one of those that's, that's usually thrown around. Um, and so it called its, it, it, like, put forth that name, but the church's like, no, we, we, we talked to the people who were there, and that's not what this is about and what happened. Yeah, so there's always only been four. Yep, Nancy. Okay, so just seeing how that changed everything. Jesus 
bodily, physically present, Jesus present in a different way, spiritually, bodily, but not there physically walking with his disciples, that change? Is it something as simple as scroll length? If if we had a if we had a book of the Bible that was sixty verse uh, sixty chapters long, would that book never get studied? Because the pastor would say, "Okay, we're going to do this book. It's sixty chapters long," and everybody's like, "I'm going to go to the one that's eight chapters." Yeah, but um, yeah. So there's there's a real world problem here. When they would write, they would write in, in parchment scrolls, uh, and it would get wound up, and, and it would get to be a pretty big thing, uh, a pretty big book. And so there, there seems to be this, like, space limit for how much you can say in one book. And, and so Luke seems to have really approached the end of that. And he's like, but I'm not done. I have more. And so starts a second volume. Now, don't, don't think that this was just sort of like, wow, what a coincidence. He's done at a very good spot. Again, Luke put effort and work into this. When people are writing works, they know their word count. They know how much space they can fill, how much will fill a scroll, because if you get bigger than that, the scroll, it'll just be too heavy and it'll break and be frail. Um, and so he, he figures how much space he has and he, he fills it and he gets everything that, that he wanted to get in, in the order. But like I said, he had a lot more material, so he starts a second book, a second work. Now there are people that think that wait a second, you know what's better than a sequel? A trilogy. That he was going to write a third book, because as we get to the end of this, what you'll find out is we there's, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Um, Paul is still in prison. And from history, from tradition, we know that Paul was executed uh, under uh, Emperor Caesar Nero about the year... 64 to 66 AD. I don't, I don't think we know an exact year. Um, but that was his ending. But Luke ends before that happened. Um, did he do that deliberately? Did he just, you know, don't want to end on a downer? Uh, did he do it because he was planning on that third work, but he just, he didn't get it done? Maybe something happened to him. Uh, there's no record at all in history that he did write a third book and like that it was lost. Uh, so that doesn't really seem to be an option, but there used to be a lot of ink spilled on this, that, that it seems like he might've meant to write three books, but, um, that there's not a lot of evidence for that. It seems that when he finished the second book, it was when he was still in Rome with Paul. Paul's in prison, and Luke is there kind of ministering to him, and he has time on his hands. So what he devoted himself was to writing this, and this is just where he was when he got done. He got to the, the second part of the story, and guess what? I'm out of scroll length. It's a really long book. We're going to end that here. If he ever intended to do more or not, we we wouldn't know. But just like with the gospel, it ends at a really good place. It It is a complete story. It is orderly. And 
it is the whole work that he wanted to tell. So it's not like he just, he ran out of time and didn't get it finished. What we know about the fact that there was the gospel written first. So we have an order here. In my first book, he wrote the gospels for the gospel of Luke first and then this, that he's probably writing this Bef- like right around those the, the the years that that Paul was executed, not not afterwards, but but right before that. So it's possible right now that he doesn't even know that, because other gospels are written, and in seventy A.D. and a momentous event happens in in the history of Judaism and Christianity. In seventy A.D., the city of Jerusalem is is completely destroyed by the Roman armies. Right. This was a huge event, not just for Jews, but also for Christians, because there were Christians that stayed behind in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem still was kind of one of the epicenters of Christianity. It wasn't the only one. Antioch, we'll talk about that later, was another big one. But it was a a very important one. And if you can recall some of the things that Jesus talked about with his disciples, he prophesied that Jerusalem, things are going to go down. You see all of these big, massive stones. Not one of them is going to remain. And that it would be better in that day to be barren than to have children because he knew what was going to happen. That, that the Roman army was going to come in there and take no prisoners approach, just destroy everything. So you don't want to be a family in that time. It would be especially painful for you to be separated from your family or you to see your young children die in that. So 70 AD is when that event happens. If you were in my, the, the stuff on the Old Testament, 586 BC, that was when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. Now 70 AD, it's destroyed by the Romans. Jerusalem gets destroyed a lot in history, doesn't it? Um, and, and it's, it's an important day, year, because it, it kind of forces the, the people to, to think differently. You know, that the Jerusalem isn't just our home, and, and this is the most important place, but we're a church that's sent. We are Christians that have been sent out. There is no place that is our home. Heaven is ultimately our home. We are citizens of God's kingdom and their allegiances change. It's not just about the Jews and, 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 and getting all of them on board. It's about the Gentiles as well. And so things are starting to click. And if he had written this book in 70 AD and he knew about Jerusalem being destroyed, he knows that it's prophesied that it's going to happen, but if he knew that it actually had happened, you'd expect that to be really important in his narrative because it really shows, again, God's work in history. But he doesn't mention that at all. So 70 AD, we sort of say, it, it chances are very, very small that it was written after that. It was probably before that, probably even before Paul's death, which, like I said, is about 64, 66 AD. So it's, it's very early to talk to eyewitnesses. This is still in that time period when that ha- it can happen because the eyewitnesses are still alive. If this was written much, much later, you'd read that and you'd kind of laugh. Wait, Luke, Luke did all of this research and talked to eyewitnesses? 
This is a hundred years after Jesus lived. There were no eyewitnesses. He's just, you know, trying to cover the trail. Um, but that's not, that's not what this is about. It's this real life tale, real eyewitnesses of this Jesus who lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and now has sent out his followers as apostles. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is real. What does that mean and what does that look like? As we open the book of Acts, we're, we're going to find out. Um, it's everything that Jesus talked about, but like I said, it's not, it's not always easy. It's not a path straight up. Sin is still going to be a part of this world. There are going to be ups and downs, but overall, God's word grows. God's word grows. It does what it will do when it is sent forth and spoken and proclaimed, and Jesus is Lord of all. All right, I think we're good. Next week, we'll read Acts, and the week after that. Thank you for listening to this Bible study. If you have questions or comments about something you've heard, let us know by leaving us a comment on our webpage, stpaulslutheran.net, and look for the menu About Us. Our Bible class meets Sunday mornings at 9.50 a.m. at 1780 Career Center Road, Bourbonnet, Illinois, 60914. We'd love to see you there. Come and grow together in Christ with us.